Hello my dear friends welcome to Zenpod once again in the studio today i have Sharanjit Shan a teacher a champion of children executive director for the math center Sharanjit has championed maths science and technology education for the children in south africa for the last two and a half decades she was born and brought up in india her education was interrupted many times after studying a full four years of medicine she was thrown out of the family and india as a result of a traditional clash sharanjit spent her adult life in england studying working and writing she gained a first degree and a masters in social science sharanjit has taught maths and science for 20 years in england at various levels moving into management positions including an office for standards and education inspector in 1995 sharanjit was invited to lead the math center transforming a small and struggling project into the widely respected institution it is today the center works with some 500 disadvantaged schools enabling teacher and learning development in maths science and technology sharanjit has published several books including an autobiography in my own name which subsequently became a school text in england sharanjit has conceptualized and managed many project in maths science and technology and has published world class training materials and primary school textbooks in maths skill development and ecd her work has reached some 500000 learners and 30000 teachers within accredited and non accredited courses constantly seeking anti poverty solutions sharanjit is committed to serving children and young people into the fourth industrial revolution promoting critical and creative thinking through stem subjects at all levels of schooling her maths center conducts advocacy campaigns for parents business industry children with disabilities and promotes language connection please join me in welcoming sharanjit chan to our studios thank you thank you for having me i'm going to start with my trademark question um, spirituality according to sharanjit it's the first time someone asked me this kind of question and what a wonderful question thank normally you. people say do you believe in god yeah and that is a word i don't know the taxonomy of the word i don't know how the word god originated Mm-hmm. but the idea for me is very complex and i was looking at slavery and apartheid and colonialism i was studying for my second masters and i had to look at organized religion politics pseudoscience economics all of that because all of that culminated in the exploitation of africa and asia Oh. every single country was plundered and looted in the name of economics in the name of expansion in the name of kings and queens and then i thought no religion it's not for me the idea that the definitions that are given to this word god by different religions and i'll tell you a funny story and then i'll Please. be serious about it I come from a very hardcore military family. Okay. And whenever my father used to go to any kind of war, mm-hmm. he will pray. And oh. I'll ask him, which god do the other side pray to? And are these different gods up there wherever we say they are, are they good buddies or are they having a debate as to which side of the war? will be given the victory and he just used to say you talk nonsense don't talk nonsense so but on a more serious note it does not suit my nature to believe in creation in divinity in one kind of god 
And yet, as a hardcore mathematics and quantum physics person, right. if I look around me, the beauty of the universe, the complexity of mother nature says to me that there is a higher power. Awesome. So when I spent some time looking at different kinds of theology, you could say, mm -hmm. I realized that Buddhist practice suits me best. All right. Because there was this wonderful moment when somebody asked Mahatma Buddha, how would you know what is the highest blessing right. as you're living? And Mahatma Buddha said, when you come to the realization that you have to avoid fools and associate with the wise, then you have reached that pinnacle of understanding how to exist, how to live. Beautiful. And then the disciple said, but how would I know mm. who is a fool and who, who is a wise person? Mahatma Buddha said, if you find a person who points to your faults, reprimands you for your arrogance, then you've got there. Wow. That is your wise person. And for me, I realized that dealing with wise people, it is often very painful. Yes. Totally devoid of pleasure. They challenge you, but at the end, the layers of your consciousness are peeled off to give you some answers. And that, my friend, is my spirituality. Wow. That was a deep answer. And, and I like the example of, of uh, that. I like the question you asked your dad. And how young were you, Sharanjit, then? Oh, probably about nine or ten. My because goodness. I used to help him. He was a hardcore strategist. That was his position in the army. And he used to take a tangram-type piece of paper, tear it up, and say to me, put it back together again. Because my job used to be to draw the pictures of aeroplanes to shoot them down. <laughs> At that point, I did not know that when you're shooting planes down, you're killing people. Yeah. I'm nine years old. I don't even know what death is. Right. But the idea of strategy for me emerged through understanding of plane geometry drawings, as well as tearing up pieces of tangram. He was the one with that. Later, of course, in life, I learned that a tangram, which is simply a square divided into seven pieces, <laughs> it can be rearranged over 6,000 times. There you go. It was, it was a good experience, but his answer about which God are you praying to and which God is the other side praying you, left me feeling very angry and very yeah. cold. Because I do still wonder, are all the different gods good buddies in heaven or do they fight like we Correct. do? It's a great question. And, no and I, I promise you, uh, a lot of us uh, well into our 50s and 60s and 70s probably still yes. don't know the answer to this question. I promise you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about, uh, it's very, very interesting. So I'll come back to this later. Let's talk about the evolution of Sharanjit till you became what you are today, or an educator, if you may. I did say to you that you'd be shocked. <laughs> so I hope you're sitting down in a chair. Yeah, I am. And you I'm holding on. As I do. Cheers. 
I was, I would say it's been a journey of a million miles. And if I say to you that the most eminent liberation for a woman mm -hmm. in the first place has to happen from a cultural entrapment okay. and the traditional boundaries. For that, you have to pay a price. Any woman listening to this, whatever their financial situation, would have endured some pain points. Mm -hmm. My pain point came from being born in a Sikh family at a time when hatred for Hindus and Muslims was very high. Oh, okay. And generally speaking, being a girl, I was born a curse, a burden, a pariah. Even though I was a very bright, young, gifted student, my father was very proud of me. But somewhere along the line, I did not even realize that a father who is so proud of me will never give me any rights to me to choose my partner. So when I chose the partner and he found out, all hell was let loose. He imprisoned me. There was daily drugging, daily beatings into an unconscious, semi-conscious state, and he declared an honor killing. And he decided that she has dishonored us, and therefore she has an end has to be put to her. He couldn't bring to burn me alive or kill me. And in the end, he simply married me off and banished me never to return. Oh. I was in the final year of a medical degree. My God. I was 19. My. It's documented. My first book was my autobiography, wow. which I wrote wow. at the age of 39, Ooh. back home in England, much later. And this trade meant that he did spare my life. And I'll tell you this, that's another thing that will shock you. The first two to three years in England were very cold and people have curtains on the windows and they don't like the sun. No Eid, no Holi, no Diwali. And Sikhism, which was the faith I was born in, right. which is born out of Hinduism and Islam, the best of it Correct. was no more. The first Shabbat says, Abbal Allah Noor Upaya Kudrat Ke Sab Bande. Correct. Ek Noor Te Sab Jagupjya Kaun Pale Kaun Mande. Which simply means we are born of one light, one energy. Right. Whoever we are. Correct. And here I was, banished forever and cried a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I realized when my first son was born mm -hmm. that universe is conspiring me, pushing me, because this is not a quarrel. This is not a difference of opinion. My father is not going to call me. This is forever. And that's when I decided. I was reading poetry a lot and one particular piece by Wordsworth comes to mind. What though the radiance which was once so bright be now forever taken from my sight, though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass, mm -hmm. of glory in the flower, but we will grieve not 
rather find strength in what remains. And as I looked at my son, I realized that I had to be a champion of young people. Oh. And this banishment is the best gift ever. Wow. Yes, it meant no family. Yes, it meant no support, no brothers, no sisters, no yes. uncles, no aunts. But it also means nobody got in my way. <laughs> I would be whatever I would muster from my spirit to be. And that, my dear, is the greatest gift. I'm not saying all children should be thrown away. Yeah, Please don't understand wow. me. Wow. But for me, the person I was, it was the greatest gift. Wow. No religion, no politics, no traditions, no culture, no nothing. The next 30 years I spent in the UK, I studied and studied, became a teacher, could not complete my medical studies, did a first degree with science as my subjects, and from then on I never looked back. I always, as deep as I could, how children learn, why do they fail, why are they so trapped, why is the mass education system so broken? And it was just flourishing of my spirit, but in a different way. Mm. And then at the age of, at the age of 39, the guy who was my husband, who they married me to died of very tragic, ex, uh, tragic circumstances for the time. I had two sons and, and of course, as a single parent, as a singularity, you have to give them their best Correct. if you really are a true champion of children. And from then on, basically, it was a search in my own spirit. Okay, I've done two masters, I've done a first degree, I've done studies, what to do now? And I happened to receive, after the autobiography was published, I happened to receive an invite from Canada. Okay. And I looked at First Nations people and their plight and the understanding of colonialism, slavery, apartheid, it all got deeper and deeper and deeper. I was conducting a workshop, South African delegation said, would you come to South Africa? Wow. And I, and I said, where is South Africa? Wow. And, and I offended them, I'm afraid. <laughs> Wow. I did not know where was South Africa. I was conducting workshops on how do children learn mathematics in multilingual environments because code switching fascinates me. And I truly believe, and later I did research, and it's been borne out by a lot of research that children who can code switch, children who are multilingual, learn mathematics better. Oh, interesting. So I came. I went home to England and talked to my boss and he said, okay, I know your spirit is a wandering spirit. I'm going to let you go for three years and then you must come back. And otherwise I won't be keeping a job open for you by which time I was hitting 50 and you have to earn a living in order to survive. And then I came to South Africa and it was, first three years were phenomenal. I always say I did a Mahatma Gandhi. It's something he did in terms of traveling and meeting people right, and knowing right, people. Right. I packed my car, I went around the country, I knocked on the doors of departments and said, tell me about South Africa. 
What is your education system? What do you mean by apartheid? And so on and so forth. And after two years, I was ready to come back and then a breakthrough happened in funding. And then it was a big breakthrough and I decided to actually set up and make the math center into an organization that will serve disadvantaged children. And that's, that's been the journey for the last 25 years. Brilliant. This is like, a, this is like two chapters in a book, Sharanjit. <laughs> well, I, I, I say to you that you will be shocked yeah, by my journey. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start writing life. saying life of an educator and, and, and I have two chapters. <laughs> but no, yes. I really admire you. I think my admiration for you has been going up since the first question. Truly respect you. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank yes. you. You know, uh, you are, and I've been, I've been reading up on some of the good work you've been doing. You are working on a mission, uh, Sharanjit, of, uh, I would say, transforming education in South Africa. You know, I, I want you to share with the listeners, and you are very eloquent and articulate, what really went behind this? To actually think that one can transform a country, yeah. that'll be very arrogant. I'm old and ugly enough to know that I can only make a chink in a mountain. So if I begin with that, then I would say to you that I'm humble enough to know and I'm humble enough to have learned that education comes in five forms. Largely throughout history, as Paulo Freire would have said, Robin Richardson would have said, I'm sure you know Pablo Freire and his pedagogy of the oppressed, that education as a construct is either reforming or conforming or informing or deforming. At best, it's conforming and reforming. As it was in apartheid days, it's deforming. Unfortunately, what has happened in our country because of the history of apartheid it continues to be deforming. Between 70 to 80% of children go to what we call quintile one, two, and three, that schools where socioeconomic circumstances are very poor. So what we collectively believe at the Math Center, I have a staff of about 50, and they work in all the different provinces, I work as a CEO and a fundraiser and a trainer. And we also get training from universities, the experts who come and who spend time with us and conduct sessions. Because after all, we are in a, we don't work in the government space without their permission. You simply couldn't. So we have decided that our vision has to be that we believe in the very mitochondria of our nucleus of the cell that all children deserve a level playing field, regardless of jobless economy, regardless of what's coming. As an educator, you need to have a level playing field. So the model of the math center, particularly recently, you're going to shock when I say COVID-19's been brilliant. Oh because we have had to convert our model from face-to-face to online. That means millions of children, up to 8 million of young people who would never 
have done this digital divide in a, in a real coherent, achievable manner. Now they're receiving lessons on a daily basis online. Beautiful. And of course we don't have connectivity because electricity is a big drama in South Africa. I'm sure you know of that. And data is very expensive. Yes. But just as my trainers stop traveling, mm -hmm. we could buy data with that travel money. So we, what we did was our model, our model is teacher development, okay. learner development. We believe in that. We believe that teacher development is the only sustainable mechanism, okay. provision of resources. And then we believe that education is a community activity. So we have what we call 10 advocacy campaigns. And I'll talk about that later in your question about bringing parents and teachers yes. and learners together and trainers together. So basically it's teacher development, learner development, but making sure that mathematics and science are understood in connection to real life. Mathematics is the basis of real life. There is True. no life if there was no mathematics. True. There is no life if there was no photosynthesis. So that's the approach we have and we excite our children and we try and get the digital divide closing as much as we possibly can. And COVID-19 has given us that gift because you see the mass education in its conforming, informing, reforming manner isn't going to change anything. You know, so that's what we are trying to do. Yeah, very nice, very nice. And I'm glad, well, at least couple of positives here and there there's some silver lining if you may to the pandemic that we are all struggling with yeah but no no sure sure but you yeah. see it's not COVID-19 yeah. for someone who studied medicine and got up to the last year it'll come again correct correct it'll true. be COVID 2020 yeah. or something I don't exactly. know true 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 the yeah. only entity I'm always scared of I'm in awe of is mother nature True. You can go around thinking I'm True. a corporate head and I've done yeah, yeah, yeah. this. And along comes Mother Nature and says, let me show you what I'm made of. And we still don't learn. And we no. still don't learn. This is the sad no. part. We human yeah. beings don't learn. Very, very sad. I was, I was thinking of a quote this morning as I was driving and I said, maybe I should write about it on social media. Said, Isn't yes. it time for human beings to become more humane as we call you know? Yes. You see, for me, the only way that would happen is if all these structures which have failed in mm -hmm. every sphere, religion, right. politics, Keynesian economics, Adam Smith's wealth of nations, how nations fail, how nations succeed. If we come back to who we are, I'm a human being, a little person. Seven billion on this planet. Why do I have to run for success, which is measured by how much money I have? But I don't need more than enough. So well said. So well said. And what but people don't... We don't need more than one car to drive. Maybe two, if a family is large. And we need to live in one house. You can only eat okay. twice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You fat then you'll end up in hospital then it'll cost you more we and, and and a lot of us probably are probably are going to leave behind money in the bank while we are six yes. feet under you know yes uh, yeah. yes uh, 
But you see, that money can evaporate in no time at all. There's gazillions of examples when corporates fail, what happens yes. to the families, the children. Oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a good story yeah, if yeah. you just focus on wealth. I know, I know. You okay. need to learn to be just a True. good, True. compassionate human being. Your, your math center in Joburg, um, yes. you know, um, and I'm yes. going to tell the listeners to find a place to sit while they are. I'm going to rattle out some statistics that are staggering. So 500 <laughs> schools, 200,000 learners and 4,000 plus teachers you support. Yes. I mean, let us in on it. Seriously, these are big numbers. Okay, well, numbers have been even larger from time to time. Okay. I think that part you must have read in the World Economic Forum yes. blog. Yes. Which was 2015 and that's where we were. Right. At the moment, numbers have reduced because our funding has gone down. Sure. We are in about 200 schools and about 100,000 learners. Initially, the model, as I said, it's teacher development, learner development, provision of resources, needs-based, right. We develop mathematics carts. We develop fourth industrial revolution kits. We right. develop 21st century math, science, technology for engineering cards. We are also accredited mm -hmm. to deliver a whole lot of courses, including early childhood development. Oh, okay. And and it's very it's very crucial that teachers gain proper qualifications. It's very lucky now that in South Africa. There is a body called South African Council of Educators that gives credits for continuous professional development. Mm -hmm. So we've got about 90 approved courses in different components of oh. mathematics, physics, and we deliver those. And we work, we call ourselves an inset organization, in-service education and training. At this moment in time in our country, there isn't a structure of inset. But having worked as an Ofsted inspector in England, INSET is a very powerful vehicle in any country for government to give its message to schools because no government can do its own. That Correct. is never going to happen. Correct. And those of us who have the kind of driving force in our minds that teachers must always be relevant, they must bring their uh, knowledge up to date, then a government needs to work in partnership with people like us. So at the moment they don't, but what happens in South Africa is due to apartheid, there is a very major mindset within corporates that says that black economic empowerment is a crucial issue. That 85, 87% of the country is black African. Right. Therefore, there are laws whereby broad-based economic development is the law. So we are able to apply for that funding. We are able oh. to apply for the corporate social investment funding okay. and socioeconomic development funding. We are able to sell materials, sell courses, and put together a little income stream that allows us to do our work. But we always have to prove that there is impact because many, many corporates, if you take mining companies, a lot of our donors are mining companies, Petra right. Diamonds, De Beers, okay. Okay. all these, they are looking for black African engineers. Oh. They're okay. looking to give them bursaries. Very nice. And if we can put 
a throughput stream together yeah. of young people achieving at higher levels. Very nice. Then we, because that's the deal. And if yeah. you don't achieve, then you don't get any funding. True, true. So that's the way the math center model works. And that's how we support schools and teachers. It's a teacher development, learner development resources yeah. program, yeah. along with advocacy campaigns, which draws in business, community and parents. That's Brilliant. the way it works. Brilliant. 2015 was it, I think you were, you were honored with the Schwab Foundation Award for the Social Entrepreneur of the Year. Pretty huge yes. and prestigious award, a kind of shot in the arm for you. How did you feel and what was it like, uh, Sharanjit? Okay, I think it's really important that no one person is an entity or sure. an achiever on their own. That is a fact. Yeah. Going back to Mahatma Buddha, the, the Council of Wise, my nice donors, my staff, my teachers, sure. my learners, Good. all the time they guide me, all the time they challenge nice. me. Nice. And provoke me sometimes to insanity. Uh, maybe I'll need to see a psychologist. <laughs> but they truly, truly do because the system is broken. And whatever I received, it was on behalf of them. Very nice. And Very nice. I said, we all had a minute and... Everybody asks you the question, how do you see yourself as a social entrepreneur? And I see myself as a disruptor. Okay. I want to be a disruptor of world-class kind because really, otherwise I'm wasting my time. Mm -hmm. And my life story is woven into my dream, even though the fabric may be torn in many places. Nice. Because in terms of the society, it is always saying, why are you doing this? It's a jobless economy. Black African children can't learn, which is all nonsense and yeah. excuses to yeah. say, don't do anything. But when you believe that every single child is capable of learning, provided you create an environment which is motivating, inspiring, encouraging, engaging, those children will learn. Provided you believe in the constitution of South Africa, which says all children are equally entitled to education, good health, protection, etc., etc. If you truly believe that, if you just believe their words in a book, then that's hard luck for all of us. So the, the parallel issue for they they asked me why math science. And I said what I said to you, yeah. without maths and science, you it's don't right. have a world. <laughs> and I live in this world. So, you know, that's why, wow. that's, that's wow. all I said. Wow. Yes, wow. it is a very prestigious award, but yes. I tell you, you know, I, later I'll talk about what and who is my inspiration now. Yes. yes. Over a million grandmothers bringing up their grandchildren Beautiful. and asking for nothing. Beautiful. From their heart, sacrificing Beautiful. poor income, poor health, even sometimes. Wow. But they never give up on their grandchild. Oh, nice. We'll talk. So, why should I get the award? Only because when you are in my kind of position, you get recognized. When you're a grandmother in, in Umtata in the Eastern Cape, nobody Beautiful. even knows. That's, that's all it is. Very nice. Only difference between me. And them and any other person is the word opportunity and what I made of that. 
I had the opportunity to know life totally by myself. And then I had to search gurus and leaders in books right. and everything. Right. And you learn. If they had had that opportunity and not be trapped by religion and economics and politics and poverty and whatever, who knows? Who knows? So that's how I saw my award. Yes, it's good for the center because my staff just yes. loves the idea that our director is a short right. fellow. We are a part of the WEF Academy. Because from time to time, we have to submit papers to the Correct. WEF Academy. Correct. Correct. And it's learning. It's great learning. Recently, uh, Professor Schwab has put together the Great Reset. And I have been asked with many others to write a paper on how do you see maths and science education being reshaped. That's how beautiful. Exciting. How beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> you, you had made a statement some time back and a very powerful statement. And I was, while I, I kind of, somebody asked me that it sounds very simple, but obviously you had a deeper uh, sense to it. Helping to restore gaps in our inadequate education system. Yes. Help us understand, uh, Sharanji, because you've been you've been in Europe, fully developed country, blah blah blah, and then India, and then obviously, and then you went to South. You went to South Africa. You are in Joburg now. So help us understand. I think it's it, it's really devastating to gaze at what has gone on in the twenty five years. Really. Well. Everybody wanted apartheid to die a death. We all did, all around the country. I used to take part in marches back home in England, you know, Nelson Mandela, get him free, Winnie Mandela, et cetera, et cetera. But when it happened, the corruption began to grip the country in such an extreme manner that what should have mattered to you, claiming your rights to education, to health, to employment. Look, it, there's only two imperatives in any nation, education and economics. Right. If you get those right, you will get your employment right, you will get your health yeah. right. Yeah. But there just doesn't seem to be any coherent strategy that delivers education to all children. Right. And children with special needs, the yes. devastation, you, you really, maybe you don't even want to know. There is a small organization called Children of Fire, because in our country, children get burnt by fire quite a lot, living in shacks, using kerosene oil, using that gel, falling asleep. All it'll take is a tiny spark to fall to the ground. My God. Woof. 10 shacks will burn, 15 shacks will My burn. God. Every day you hear that, you know, and you would have thought that there will be a, a, a formal kind of service, primary healthcare service right. for children of fire. They are called, that's why they are called children of fire. Every one of them has to have some kind of surgery. Ooh. That NGO has collapsed. Oh no. And this goes on and on. Those are the gaps and they're so big. There are children without toilets, children without food. On the 25th of March, when we began into lockdown, 7 million children, their feeding stopped. Oh now, that's God. not something I do. My God. 
So all I could do was within our 21 plus projects, say to my staff, if you can get together, because we were under lockdown, remember that, somehow get together with the local church or any local community center, if there is one, and please, we need to feed our children. Only now, a week ago, the Minister of Education declared that feeding schemes will begin again. Oh. That isn't just a fundamental right, Benny. That is a fundamental need like breathing. True, true. How do you survive? How do you live? Seven million children, I kid you not, you can check the facts on My any report God. you wish. And that, I, those are the gaps. Children without books, yeah. children without basic math sets, pencils, pens, rulers, protectors, children without shoes, children still walk to school five to 10 kilometers a day. And poor children, therefore, they only receive one meal, which is at school. The gaps are too large. Yeah, my goodness. My goodness. So, for me, if you really mean education, you know, I was in government. I was a civil servant in England for seven years. Yeah. Your first priority is your basic needs of your children. I, I completely so well said. Yeah, it, it, it shakes you up, right? It, it kind of shakes you I'm up. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, but that's it the, the way it is. It's the truth, right? Turning your eyes away will not uh, make the world a better place. No. Exactly, exactly. Oh, goodness. I'm so sorry. that. There's a beautiful poem. You may want to go into the internet and check it out. I My next book I intend to write and I intend to name it Coloring Between the Bloody Lines. <laughs> Basically, we tell lies to the young all the time. And it, the poem is called Telling Lies to the Young. And I think it's either by a Czechoslovakian or a Russian. I, I will send it to you. I'll yeah, send please, it to you. Please, please. It's a so beautiful sorry. poem. We tell lies to the young all the time in different ways, all the time. So sad. You do this and that'll happen. You do this and uh, 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 uh. Yeah, I think we need It to. is such a yeah. complex story. Yeah. And yet, as Einstein said, on the other side of complexity is simplicity. Simplicity. It is simple if we really cared. Yeah. It's yeah. complicated if you're going to point to a law, an act, yeah. this condition. The takeaway here really is the, we need to fix the system, if you, if you may, in that entire statement. No, no, we need to kill the system, start a new one. Maybe, uh -uh. yeah, maybe, yeah. There's no fixing, it's so broken. Yeah, true. It's, true. There's no fixing. There's a beautiful song by Tracy Chapman, This World is Broken. Yeah. Yes, she says it needs fixing, but it needs to be revamped. Yeah. Social entrepreneurship. What's your oh, take? Yes. What's your take on it, uh, Sharon? As usual, my take on it is that yes, we are disruptors, and we need to have sheer grit and determination to find solutions. Social entrepreneurs, yes, they are like any entrepreneur, except we make social profit, but then funding constraints get in the way big time financial yeah. capacity constraint. We are hampered by those all the time, but we don't believe in policies and we don't believe in laws and we don't believe in acts and all that nonsense. Where if I was to regret anything with COVID-19, the manner in which our funding dried up 
it was shocking. It was devastating. I had about 18 appointments and 18 proposals that I had submitted with Melanie, who is my senior accountant, submitting the budget, activity-based budget, costing models, you name it. Mm -hmm. It just got cut in a day. Oh my God. No appointments, nothing. Now everybody says, but we are losing our money. We have no profit. We can't fund you. It's become. And what we didn't do, which we should have done. And that's where I feel I wasn't strong enough. I should have been really hard on my board and we should have had a commercial income stream. We could have sold courses, sold training, yeah, yeah, and, correct. And, and maybe become a sec, not become, but set up a Section 21 company. Yeah. And then we could have had a regular income stream. So, yeah. To rely on one fundraiser, yes, as mad as she is, as a mad hatter, you would say, but COVID-19, she has to even bow to COVID-19. Even though I say no to COVID-19 for myself, but the impact it has had on society. There's nothing anybody could have done. And my regret is we didn't set up an income stream. So I think social entrepreneurs must set up a commercial wing and plow it back into the NGO in order to, in order to carry on. It's a very good advice. See, if you think of entrepreneurs per se, uh -huh. when they set up their small businesses, 90% uh -huh. plus fail. Yeah, true, true. And yet their entire focus is profit making. Yeah. Whereas we are not even allowed to make any surplus or any profit. We are audited by Deloitte, which yeah. is a, a very prestigious accounting firm and they audit us pro bono but you make like 10,000 surplus you're asked questions on where did it come from it, it, it's it's coloring between the bloody lines <laughs> yes. seriously I'm sorry we have to take a break right now but please don't go away and we'll be back soon with second part of this episode with Sharanjit where she talks about the three pillars of education, that is the children, the parents and the teachers. Sharanjit's view on qualities that teachers must possess. We've had discussions around relevance of our syllabus and how outdated they are. What gives her hope every morning? What would Sharanjit have done if she had not gone into the STEM initiative, social entrepreneurship in South Africa? How does spirituality give her the answers? What has been her Eureka moment? What has really been the best piece of advice she received? Her message to people aspiring to bring about a social change. How can we, the listeners, support and contribute to the social organization that she's running in South Africa, the Math Center? How does she manage to retain her high energy levels? And finally, we close with a rapid fire.